Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. Our, our subject matter, if, uh, if I was to give it a title this evening, it's a question. And the question has, uh, has to do with a, with a subject matter that many times hinders us from pressing towards the mark. You know, as the scripture, uh, the, uh, we have this theme that comes from where Paul says, you know, pressing towards the mark. We're going to look at that a little later on. Uh, but the question uh, I want to ask, I want us to reflect on a little bit this evening is accepted or wondering? Accepted or wondering? And uh, there is something that has happened to the, to the human race, to humanity as a result of the entrance of sin that has really messed us up on a very deep level. The entrance of sin has uh, brought humanity under a curse and under the reign of death. And on a more personal level, it introduced into our being, into our psyche, a discordant element where we have become dysfunctional. All of us. Well, it started with Adam, obviously. And uh, in other, maybe we could put it this way. We are not functioning or operating at the optimum level that God intended for Adam. Sin has messed us up. And recognizing that goes a great way into administering the solution that God has to that particular uh, problem. Now, this discordant element, this dysfunctionality that, that entered the human race uh, has filled us with insecurities, with doubts, with fears. And we see that demonstrated all the way there in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, when, when it all started. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10. Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. And here, this particular element I want to zero in a little bit on this evening is what's spelled out. Genesis 3 and verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You see what Adam here was experiencing for the very first time? He experienced fear. He was afraid. Sin drove men to hide from God. It didn't just drive Adam, it drove men, it drove humanity. What Adam was manifesting here was this new element working in the human psyche, in the human being. Fear for the very first time. And what is fear? Fear is uncertainty, right? It is doubt. Somehow, in this relationship that Adam had with God, this trust now was in question, it was in doubt, he was afraid. He wasn't sure how he was going to be treated by God, by Christ. We understand Christ is the one who would come and visit them. Uh, he wasn't sure where he was standing, so he did the only safe thing he could think of. He went and he, and he hid. And he says the reason for that is he was afraid. And part of the motivation for that is he realized that he was naked, as the verse tells us. So as a result of his nakedness, his uncoveredness, he's now exposed. He's not sure that this interaction with Christ is going to be good for him. He actually thinks it's going to go bad for him. So he decides to go and hide. Fear. And this is a very important principle because the same problem affects us today as Christians. When we come into the place where we have a closer interaction with God. There is this... this Fear that has been introduced into the human element as a result of sin. This inherent fear. And the fear pops up time and again when we see these interactions with the, with the divine or with God. And so, uh, whatever assurance Adam and Eve had about their acceptance with God was now in question. It was doubtful. They were afraid. And... Uh, whether it be guilt, whether it be remorse for what they did, whether it be a realization that they are now naked, whatever the motivation is, I, I, the motivation varies from case to case, from situation to situation. I'm not dealing with as much with the motivation. I'm dealing with what results. It's this fear, this inherent natural fear 
that is our lot. And as the offspring of Adam, this is what Adam bequeathed to us. Any child of Adam comes into this world under the same conditions that Adam introduced into the human race. And, uh, and this is why we need to address that. Our, you know, to the extent that we realize and understand that, to that extent we are closer to remedying the problem. So long as we continue to deny that or, or reject that, then we are not honestly addressing the issue and therefore we are less likely to administer the solution to the, to the problem. So this is what happened with Adam and Eve. They were filled with fear, with mistrust. And this relationship, this trust, this connection that they had with God was now broken. You know, how would you feel if you had a friend, you know, a close friend, and last time you leave off, things are well. Next time you meet, all of a sudden your friend is acting very different, very strange, and, 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 and in a very unexpected manner. And he has a suspicion towards you. You wouldn't, you wouldn't feel very happy, right? And you would think, hold on a minute, you know, who's, who's been talking to you? What happened? Someone, someone's come in and, and maybe some whispering is going on, right? Now imagine that, you've probably been in a situation like that, you know? But imagine if the situation is even closer to home, where it's not even just a friend, but it's actually a family member. A family member. And all of a sudden you have this distrust, this uncertainty. It does not, it does not make for a harmonious relationship, does it? And this is what had happened with Adam and Eve. This is how Christ felt. All of a sudden, last time he left Adam and Eve, things were well. Next time he comes to visit, Adam is hiding. They've gone into hiding. And this is what he was saying, you know, Adam, where are you? What had happened to you? It's not like, where are you? I can't find you. Come out of hiding. It was, it's, it's, a, it's a more probing question. It's a deeper question. It's, where, where are you? Where, you're not where I left you. Something has changed. A relationship has come into a mistrust that has been introduced there. Imagine, you know, if not even if, if a little closer to home, if it's not even just a family member, if it's your own child, how would you feel? That kind of gives us a little bit of an insight how Christ uh, must have felt. And this is what the proverb, the wise man tells us, that a whisperer separateth chief friends. That's exactly what happened. Adam and Eve lent their ears to the whisperings of Satan above what God had said and brought us into sin. And this relationship that has been marred and, and now fear and doubt and uncertainty is introduced. This is what God's plan of salvation is designed to solve, to heal and to restore. It's to restore that relationship. Now we talk about the plan of salvation as a solution for sin. And many times we say sin and it's a big umbrella term. But I want to specify certain elements and components that came about as a result of sin. That many times as Christians we continue to carry even though we are professedly Christians. And to a large degree, it's one of the biggest hindrances for us when it comes to pressing towards the mark or moving forward or advancing or growing in grace or however the many ways that the scripture indicates our growth and our connection and our relationship with God. Of course, uh, the component that is revealed here in this fear is selfishness. Selfishness now was introduced into the human element. And this is the disease that we're talking about that has infected the whole human race. Selfishness. It was self-preservation that drove Adam to hide. He wasn't sure how it was going to go for him. It'll be bad. It'll be negative. So in self-preservation, he did the same thing he could do and went and hid himself. Now, keep in mind, when I'm talking about Adam and what happened there, this is the first instance where we see a manifestation of what sin causes. It's not just isolated to him, or it's not only exclusive to him. This is something that affects all of his children. We are infected with the same disease, this selfishness, this desire for self-preservation and fear and protection of self. That's what selfishness is. And we're going to explore that hopefully uh, in a little bit more detail. But that's what I'm saying. We need to recognize the sickness, the malady, so we can appreciate and administer the solution and the remedy to that malady. This broken trust. Now, I want to give you a few other examples in the Bible. I'm not going to turn into to each one, but we'll look at a few just to illustrate this recurrent theme that had now become the 
hallmark of humanity. Whenever there are close encounters with the divine, something seems to pop up regularly, and the scripture talks about it, and it's for our benefit to recognize and understand that. This fear, this distrust, and this doubt. Let's go to Genesis 18. Here's another story here. Genesis chapter 18 and verse 15. Genesis 18 and verse 15. And the context here is where Christ appears to Abraham. He promises him a child. Sarah hears, you know, behind the flap of the tent, and she, she laughs. And verse 15 says, Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Again, whatever the motive is, but there's this fear. There's this uncertainty. And the uncertainty drove Sarah to do something that is very common for us. Is to have this duality. Where what we feel on the inside or what occurs on the inside is not truly and accurately reflected on the outside. There is a mask and there is something different that is put forth. On the inside she laughed. She says, no, 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 I didn't really laugh. When the... When, when the uh, probing of Christ when he probed to the inner being and he saw that she quickly wanted to hide that and the reason she says it says here is she was afraid and she says I laughed not this is the result of sin where for us we have this duality where many times how we are on the inside how we think how we truly feel is not how we present on the outside how we interact with someone or or even god forbid in church or as christians you know what i'm talking about this is one of the biggest problems we have today as christians as a result of sin it has to do with this deep-rooted fear because if you think about it you know as christians we know i shouldn't think this way i shouldn't think that way i shouldn't behave this way i shouldn't behave that way well let me behave in the way that we're supposed to let me speak in the way that we're supposed to and many times we do that but it is not an accurate reflection of how we are on the inside that's a problem. And the root that drives that many times is this fear, this uncertainty, this concern for, for self. And it uh, causes us to put a false front. Anyway, I'll come back to that again. But there are many other examples. I'll mention them. We won't go through each one to look it up. But uh, when Jacob was running from uh, his family after he deceived his father and, and his brother was going to kill him, so he takes off, right? And he is lonely. He's, he's depressed. He's probably feeling guilty. So he goes to sleep, and he has a dream, right? Remember the dream? He saw heaven opened and angels descending and ascending and, and connected with heaven with a, with a ladder there, and we call it Jacob's ladder. The Bible says when he woke up, he was afraid. He was afraid. Here's a dream. God gives him a dream to encourage him. to strengthen. He was afraid. He was fearful. And he put a stone there and called the name of the place uh, Bethel, because it says that he, uh, he saw, this is in Genesis uh, chapter 28. That's the story of, ja of Jacob running. Just the, the, comment, the commentary of scripture is, is, is common. That when you have people coming to a close encounter with God, this fear pops up time and again. Another example is Moses. When he was in the wilderness with the sheep, he saw the, the burning bush, right? So he goes to look at it, and then God speaks to him from the bush. And then the Bible says, Moses was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid. There is this something, and, this, and what fear is, what, for whatever the reason, because it might be because of uh, a person's sin, a person's guilt, a person's remorse. Maybe it's, it's fear as in uh, of God's glory and majesty and there is an awe there you know whatever it is but there is this whoa you know uncertainty uh, a little later with the people at mount sinai the same thing happened god spoke the ten commandments and then the people what the bible says they were they were afraid and they came and told moses please don't let god speak with us you go speak with him and you tell us what he says but we, we can't handle god speaking to us when gideon uh was threshing the wheat, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him to go deliver Israel. And then uh, 
Gideon says, give me a sign. How will I know it's you? And he offers up a sacrifice and then the angel goes up with the smoke of the sacrifice and ascends. He realizes that he had seen an angel of the Lord. And the Bible says that Gideon was, was afraid. He thought he was going to die. This fear pops up time and again. Another one, I'll, I'll, I'll just use this final one here just for another example, is David. King David, when he was transporting the ark back from, it had been in someone's house for a number of years, and he wanted to transport it to Jerusalem. Right? Remember the story? And a big procession. And then along the way, uh, a man by the name of Uzzah, he puts, he puts his hand out to steady the ark. And what happens to him? He dies. The Bible actually says that David was, when that happened, David was afraid of God. He stopped the whole thing. He put the ark in the closest house, and they canceled the whole project for the day. They were very afraid. The Bible says that. Okay, close encounters with God bring up a certain fear in man. This is the point we're making. And it's God's purpose and desire to eliminate that and to restore a harmonious relationship with humanity. And when I say with humanity, many times we look at it as a corporate, you know, all humans. Yes, it's true, but we need to make that individual. He wants to restore that relationship with you, with me, personally, on a personal level, not just a collective level. Now, God knows very well this weakness, this inherent weakness in humanity as a result of this disease of sin and selfishness that has become our lot. And that we are prone to fear and fearfulness and doubt and mistrust and uncertainty and worry. And all these different words that portray this same thing, this feeling that props up this inherent thing in us. And so this is why you find many times in the Bible, many of God's promises are based on the, on the idea or on the, on the promise being given of fear not. Do not fear. When angels appear to men, many times they will, the first thing they will say is, fear not. You know why they're saying that? Oh, because obviously the, the reaction of man is, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Fearfulness is not what God wants for us. Some of the best loved promises of God in the Bible are clustered or based or uh, built on, don't fear, don't be afraid, trust. God is, is, is seeking, what He's doing is seeking to restore our relationship and eliminate fear from the equation. You can't have a harmonious relationship when there is fear, when there is mistrust. And this is why many times as Christians, we talk about our relationship with God, right? And being a Christian is really about that relationship with God more than what we believe, certain doctrines and teachings and understandings of Scripture. These are all good and well, but they are not what Christianity is truly all about. It is about having a relationship with God. And many times, and I've had this, uh, and I've, I've noticed this in, in my discussions with people in different parts of the world over the years. Many times, there are many Christians who, if they were honest, they have a certain fear or mistrust or doubt when it comes to their standing with God. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here tonight and who feels this way. This is a personal matter. But brothers and sisters, it is a real thing that exists. And it hinders many and even most Christians from growing, from moving forward, from advancing. It is a very serious problem. I want to, I want to tell you exactly how serious the problem is, not because of what I think or what I say, but remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. We don't have to turn there, but he says, Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils and uh, done miracles? And there are many wonderful things in your name. And when, then what does Jesus say? He says, Depart from me, I never knew you. I want you to stop and think about that verse for a minute. That's a very alarming revelation that Jesus is giving there. He's talking about what class of people, what kind of people? Christians, right? They're Christians who did all these things in Jesus' name, who are in for a very big shock and a very big surprise when Christ comes. They are genuinely convinced that they are okay. 
Now Christ says the extent of the problem is not just a few here or a few there. He actually says, many will come to me in that day. So here's the question. Are you going to be one of those many? Am I going to be one of those many? These people, they don't think they're going to get that reaction from Christ. They don't believe the words that Jesus said because they say, haven't, haven't we done all these things? Look at all these evidences. And he tells them what? I never knew you. What does that mean? There was never really that relationship, that connection. And this is the problem. We can come to a place, brothers and sisters, as Christians, where we deceive our own selves. Do you realize that our greatest enemy is not the devil? Our greatest enemy is our own selves. We can deceive our own selves. We can deceive others. And sometimes we can get so good at that, we can end, actually end up deceiving our own selves and coming to a place where we think we're okay, we're fine. And brothers and sisters, we can be in for a very big and serious surprise. And so this is why I want to address some of these things, you know, on a personal, heart-searching level this evening. You know, we're beginning the camp. It's a good thing to, to really come to that place where we truly, we can talk about teachings and different ideas and Bible interpretations here and there. And that's all good and well. But if at the end of the day, we come to Christ and say, Lord, didn't I believe in this? And didn't I do this? And didn't I do that? And if you have failed to come to the place where you have that genuine relationship, where there is still that lurking fear, distrust, or doubt, or whatever it might be, then it's going to be a very harsh surprise. You know, I sometimes think, you know, what would I feel like if I was there and I was in this, these people's shoes and, and that have, how would I think with a reaction like that? You know, Christ telling me these words. That, that's, a, that's, one of, that's probably the saddest thing ever for anyone to realize. Because that's it. By that, by that time, there's no more, well, let me go and fix it up. Well, that's it. It's all over. Self-deception. And that's why I'm saying many times as Christians, this is our biggest problem. And like what Sarah manifested in many other examples in the Bible, this duality, this constant living in this duality, this putting up a front and behaving in a certain way that does not reflect the inner you, you can become so adept, so good at it, that you end up thinking that you are exactly what you're portraying on the outside. And you leave the inner matters and you fail to bring the gospel and the gospel solution to the inner heart level. Because you know what? For many people, they're too afraid to go there. It's too uncomfortable. It's too close to home. And let's just keep it at arm's length. And you do not really have this meaningful, genuine, trusting relationship with God, where you are still uncertain about certain things. That's why I said the question we're asking here today, this evening is, are you accepted or are you still wondering? That's the problem that I am addressing tonight. In other words, you're not sure how God will act towards you. You're kind of Hoping for the best, but you're not really certain where you stand with God. You know what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes, as Christians, unfortunately, we don't, we don't talk about these things too much. We don't express them even, because we know it's probably not a Christian thing to say. It's not a very encouraging thing to say. We know all the right things to say and all the right verses to quote, and this is what we get used to. And many times, there are many people, sadly, who experience these things. And they keep them in the quiet, private recesses of their mind. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. This is real. This exists. And we, and we need to address the gospel to that place, the innermost part of our being. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Because it's real. It exists. How do I really stand with God? And how do you really stand with God? That was what Adam had a problem with in the garden. And this is our continued problem. Even after we become Christian. Now Christianity is supposed to heal that from our being. It's supposed to, you know, restore us. But many times we fail to bring it home. Now, God's desire for rest so restoring the relationship and this plan of salvation is, is about restoring this relationship. And many times we fall into this trap of thinking that it's about doing things to win God's favor. 
doing things to win God's favor. That's what that group of people, the many who say to Christ, they list all the things that they, that they did. Didn't we do cast out devils? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we do wonders all in your name? All the things that they did. There is a certain relationship that masquerades as the real thing where many Christians feel that by doing the right things and behaving in the right manner, that means they are a good Christian. And that's as far as their Christianity goes. You know, we commonly talk about that as, as the works program or the works gospel. And, but in but many, many people's minds, they, we, we don't say it's works. There are a lot of people whose relationship with God is simply based on the good things that they do, believing that they are impressing God or doing God service or doing God a favor. And this is an external Christianity. And I want to warn you about that, brothers and sisters. If you have an external Christianity, that does not truly mean you have an inner true Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? And, you know, we can... We can sit there and, and, and listen and say, yeah, that's, that's true. And, and, and I hope this brother is listening or I hope this sister is listening because, yeah, they, they, I think that they need to hear this message. But I'm talking to you, okay, not to the other brother or the other sister. Because we're good at deflecting the, the, the message. And sometimes, you know, we say, we say amen, amen. And, and loudly, <laughs> which is good. But sometimes amen is like, you know, amen. I hope brother such and such is listening. Or because, you know... You know what I'm talking about? We are very good at fooling ourselves. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You need divine aid to really bring the gospel truly home. But we need to be willing to allow that to happen to, our, to the very depths of our being. And sometimes when it comes close to home, I'm telling you, it's uncomfortable. There are all kinds of fears and doubts and things. And unless we address them, we cannot just hide them under the rug and, and then, well, we'll hope they'll go away one day. God desires for salvation to make them go away today. That's the whole point of the gospel. So this idea that uh, doing good things to win God's favor many times is actually a mask for selfishness. That's really what it is. It's often how we try and impress God. It's not many times expressed so explicitly, but it's this inner selfishness where we want to demonstrate that there is something good about us that God should take note of. Look what I did. Look what I said. Look what I accomplished. This is one of the biggest tragedies that we can have today. It's, it's the idea that, you know, God needs to somehow be appeased or somehow God needs to be impressed with you so that he can accept you that your acceptance with God is based on some accomplishment that you are going to do and the more good accomplishments especially if they are things that God spells out like say in the Ten Commandments and all the good things you do then you're all the way you're even more advanced in impressing God and winning his favor this is the problem I want to look at a couple of verses here to look at the relationship between Fear and faith. Let's go to Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 26. And here, Jesus is with the disciples in the boat. The storm is raging and the boat is going all over the place. And then it tells us in verse 26 of Matthew 8, And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. What's the relationship between faith and fear, according to this verse? He says the disciples were fearful, right? And then he describes them as being of little faith or faithless. So that's what fear does. Fear is the opposite of faith because you know what fear is it's doubt it's mistrust it's the opposite of faith so when there is an uncertainty when there is a mistrust when there is a doubt as to our standing and our relationship with God what does that say about our faith we are faithless 
you realize that. So it's a big problem. It's not just, oh, we need to get over our, our feeling. It's a problem. Faith is a trust, an assurance that you have. Now, this was a physical situation that caused the disciples some fear. Physical storm in the sea. Sometimes we meet, and it's a good illustration for us, because sometimes we meet with situations in life that are of a spiritual nature. Sometimes physical as well, but they're of a spiritual nature that causes spiritual fear and spiritual doubt and spiritual mistrust. And you know, in those times, our faith is not there. Vanish, yeah, it's, it's, it's being faithless. Now, listen, we experience that. The problem is not that, that you shouldn't feel this way. The problem is recognizing that and addressing it and trusting in the Lord. But many times we just sail through thinking things are going to be okay because I'm a Christian, because I still go to church on Sabbath, because I still believe this, because, because and, and, and we go to all these external things that many times are our assurance of our Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? The assurance is an inner faith. You know, Jesus said it. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find what on the earth? Faith. That's what he's looking for. Faith. What does that mean? This relationship on an individual level where it's restored, where there is this trust, there is assurance. There is a knowledge and a certainty of your acceptance and your standing with God. You're not doubtful. You're not wondering here or there. You're assured. The same thing happened we don't have to go to the story, but the same thing happened with Peter. Another time Jesus comes walking on the water. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. Right? So Peter begins to walk on the water. And then what happens? He sees the, the waves. The Bible says he was afraid and he begins to sink. He calls to the Lord, Lord, save me. Jesus saves him. And you know what he tells him? O thou of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Fear is doubt. That's what it is. And this doubt is our plague as Christians. That's what hinders us from continuing to press toward the mark. We need to recognize that so that we can address it and so that we can press indeed towards the mark. So fear destroys faith. That's what doubt is. It's unbelief. It's mistrust. And this picture of Peter, you know, sinking is a, is a beautiful picture of many times what we go through in our, in our experience as Christians on a spiritual level. Things will arise, things will happen, and we begin to doubt. And we're uncertain. Lord, why is this happening to me? And, you know, maybe the waves, and some people get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, picturesque with the whole thing and say the waves, the waves obstructed Peter from seeing Christ. And that's, that's a good, good uh, you know, point to make. And many times some things happen in life, and we, they, they block our spiritual vision from Christ, and we begin to be afraid or doubtful. And in those times, in those places, brothers and sisters, that's when our faith is no longer there. We're faithless. We need to remember something. This is a natural tendency for us as human beings. We need divine aid so that we can hold on to the assurances and promises of God. And this is why those, for, for us, God gives all these incredible assurances so that we can be assured, so that we do not doubt, so that we do not fear. Let's look at some of them. One, one outstanding one. There are many. One outstanding one is 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 19. A very familiar verse. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing to their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God's plan of salvation is to reconcile. God's plan is to convince us that He's not against us, He's not distant from us, that He loves us, not because of some great accomplishment we did. You know, elsewhere in the Bible it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what it's talking about here. He reconciled the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. You know, maybe this is part of the the picture that impressed you before you became a Christian, that drew you to God or drew, drew you to Christ to become a Christian, right? Seeing the love of God. And that's good and that's how it should be. But I'm wanting to also particularly address the fact that even after we become Christians, sometimes we continue to behave 
and operate in a way that is not entirely Christian, or at least not, or at least it shouldn't be so. Now, our biggest fear of all, the Bible tells us, is where we stand with God. You realize that? Our biggest fear is the fear of death. And the fear of death is simply talking not just about when you fall asleep and you die. It's talking about <coughs> eternal death or being lost. This is our biggest fear. In Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about that. We're not going to get into that. But this uncertainty of whether am I saved or am I lost? How do people answer this question? How do you answer this question? That's a good question to ask in this context. How do you answer this question? Many people, sadly, many Christians, when honestly asked this question, their answer is, well, I hope I am. And sometimes we feel there's a certain modesty in, well, I don't want to be proud and, and boast that I'm saved. Because there's a whole group of Christians who believe in once saved, always saved. And they keep going on about, oh, they're saved and saved. I'm, I'm not like that. I don't believe that. I'm, I'm humble. And, you know, I trust God. So I, I hope I will be. You know, I'm doing all the right things. And it's God's decision. And it sounds very nice, very pious. But it's uncertain. What it is many times, it's an uncertainty. It's Look, I hope I am. We'll, we'll wait and see. It's, it's, it's reflected many times. I'm going to look at some reasons why, why that is the case. But uh, it's, it's, this uncertainty is dangerous, brothers and sisters. Look, there is a hymn, right? It goes like this. Is my name written there on that page? White and fair. You know the hymn? Really, na uh, really nice hymn, very catchy, beautiful. But what, the, what, what is expressed in that hymn? Is, is that faith or doubt? It's doubt, right? Is my name written? The implication is, I hope it is. I'm not sure. I hope it is. Is my name written there on that page? Look, I like the hymn, okay? It's a very nice tune. But, but, but the, idea, the idea that's expressed, I'm not picking on them, but you, the idea that's expressed is accurately reflective of many times how people feel about their Christianity. And this is why I'm asking a question, how do you feel? How do I feel? Where do we stand? Let me put it to you this way. If things were to wrap up tonight, where would you end up? We need to stop and consider this question from time to time, brothers and sisters. And if you're uncertain, if you're not sure, it's better to address it now. Because when it's at that time when Christ says, I don't know you, it's too late. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's better to feel uncomfortable now and do something about it because we can. Than to get a bigger shock when it's too late, when we realize too late. So Jesus knows this fear, okay? And he gives us many assurances. One beautiful verse I love in the scriptures, Jesus told his disciples, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He told them, fear not, don't be afraid. What's, what's giving the kingdom mean? He's talking about salvation. He says, listen, don't be afraid, don't worry. It's the father's good pleasure. It gives the Father pleasure, joy, happiness to give you salvation. It tells us about God's attitude. It tells us about how God feels towards us, towards giving us salvation. That's given to assure us and to remove this inherent fear that many times arises. Let's go to 1 John 4, a very familiar passage. 1 John 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. All the way there, in the back of the New Testament, the letter of John. 1 John 4 and verse 18. Again, a very familiar verse, but a very powerful verse. First John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We know this verse, right? We could do a whole sermon on this verse. It summarizes well what we're talking about. The God's love manifested in Christ coming for us. God's plan of salvation, a revelation of his love. It's designed to do what with fear? To cast it out, to remove it. That's what it's saying. And then it tells us here, because fear hath torment. There are many Christians who are living and having a tormented 
experience. You realize that? It's tormented because it's full of doubt, uncertainty, not sure, and wondering and hoping for the best. That's torment. Perfect love is designed to cast out that. We need to come to the place, brothers and sisters, where we truly not just see God's love, but make it personal, believe it, and appropriate it personally and trust it fully and implicitly. I'm not going to keep going too much. Like I said, there's so much more in that verse. But that last part is very significant. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. It's serious, right? It's very, very serious. And this is why the New Testament is full of God's assurances. Are you sure of your salvation? That's the question I want to ask you. Are you assured? But I know you don't need to answer me because many times, you know, in situations like this, especially in a crowd, uh, you know, we're tempted to say, oh, yes, very solidly and very, uh, uh, because it's the right thing to say, it's the right response to a question like that. I, I want you to ask a question to yourself in your heart and see how your heart is, okay? Uh, because sometimes we can say that, and it's not many times a true reflection of what's inside. Sometimes it is. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to, you know, put everyone in the same basket, but sometimes it's not. And we need to be careful where our true inner being is. That's why I'm not asking for answers. I just want you to think and I want you to examine your own heart. Is there any lurking fear or doubt in your heart when it comes to God or an uncertainty? This is why the Bible tells us, you know, we are accepted in the beloved. If we truly understand what God has done for us in Christ, that in Christ we are accepted, fully accepted in the beloved. That's designed, that's the perfect love that's designed to cast out this fear, this mistrust, this doubt. See, brothers and sisters, salvation is actually easy. You know why it's easy? Because God took care of all the hard parts to make it easy for us. Salvation is difficult and complex. God took care of the difficult part of it. God dealt with the complexities of it so that it can be easy and simple for us on our end. And this is what's revealed in the scriptures. All this is designed by God to cast out our inherent fear that has come upon us as a result of sin entering into the human stream. Another very popular reason, I want to deal with this as well, why many people fear or are doubtful or are uncertain, particularly if you're from a Seventh-day Adventist background or if you're a Seventh-day Adventist believer, is this doctrine that we believe, and it's biblical, but because we believe things about it that are not entirely accurate, it creates a fear. And this doctrine that I'm referring to is a doctrine of the judgment, particularly the one we refer to as the investigative judgment. A lot of people because of misunderstanding what the meaning of the investigative judgment is, they have an uncertainty and a doubt when it comes to where they stand with God. Maybe you do. Again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Let me put it this way. You know, when I was at college, uh, when the test, when, the, when, it, when it was time for the exam or the test, it wasn't a very happy time for us as students, right? Because we'd be stressed. Because if you're a student, if you remember your college days, if you're like me, I wasn't, a, you know, a, this fantastic student that studies all the time. I study when the tests come. So the test coming, I'm cramming. If I'm a, a few days before the test, I'm madly cramming and staying up late. And, and you know, and you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and a lot of us in the class were like that. Because with the test and there's just, am I going to pass or fail? Oh, no, I don't know enough. What am I going to do? Uh, and all that fear and doubt. Many times we view the judgment as the great universal test, the biggest test of them all. And we look at it like we, like we look sometimes at tests that come to us at college or, or school or whatever. How am I going to do in this test? I'm not sure. I hope I pass. That's not how God wants us to see. That's not the whole point of the, of the, the judgment, brothers and sisters, is the assurance and the evidence that we are in Christ. It's not to test us. Well, let's test how good you did, how good you didn't do, and we'll, we'll give you a pass or fail at the end. Because of misunderstanding that, it has left a lot of people in doubt because the results are not out yet. Right? Well, it's still happening, you know? And so, well, I'm, 
I'm not sure. I'll, well, I'll trust in God and, and hope for the best. Is my, well, let's sing the hymn. Is my name written there on that page? What I'm fair. You know what I'm talking about? It's an attitude. Okay, maybe we don't express it, but it's, it's well, the judgment. Brothers and sisters, when we go to this exam, when I was stressed in the exam, it's because of my failings and my lack of study or, or however much I crammed or didn't cram. How much different do you think I would feel if the teacher in the exam came and sat next to me and says, look, this is, I'm, I'll help you out in this exam. Whatever you don't know, I'm, I'm with you here. Do you think that would give me an assurance? Yes, definitely, okay? Of course, so Christ, we can't leave Christ out of the investigative judgment. Christ is our mediator. Christ is our mm -hmm. savior. We are accepted in the beloved. We are assured in the beloved. The judgment is not about, let's test your actions and activities as a Christian independent of Christ. That's not what it's about, brothers and sisters. And many times viewing it in this light, we then all of a sudden are cast in an uncertainty when it comes to our standing with God. And this uncertainty is an expression of faithlessness. So we need to understand things are right. 1 John 5 and verse 13, notice how the apostle here, we're not far, chapter 5 and verse 13, encourages the believers. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that he may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you have that knowledge? That's the question. <coughs> He's telling them that he may know that he have eternal life. It's not that you shall hope for the best or trust in God and leave it in God's hands. You should trust in God. You should leave it in God's hands. But God has revealed what his intention is and his promises are sure. They're true. It says here that you may know that you have eternal life. Is that assurance? That's assurance right there. Is that an assurance that you have? That's the question I want to challenge you with. That's why I'm asking a question in the title. Accepted or still wondering? Our time is almost up. But this is a description of a relationship, brothers and sisters. I want to deal with a particular challenge here in closing. The biggest challenge I find closely associated with this, because you know, talk about this, you know, before you became a Christian or before you became converted and yes, and, and see these things and come to Christ. But one of the biggest challenges I find in close association with this is not knowing these things. It's not just even believing these things. The biggest challenge is this, it's knowing them, it's believing them. But after knowing them and believing them, when we as Christians mess up when we know better, when we as Christians mess up when we know better, then the difficulty is a hundredfold. Because we're no longer now, I was in the world and I didn't know. No, you're now a Christian. You know better and you still mess up. And for many people, this is one of the biggest reasons for their uncertainty and their standing with God. You know what I'm talking about? And the devil doesn't let us forget it. Let me look at a couple of verses in relation to that, 1 John, we're still here. Let's go to chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. Knowing and then falling and messing up. Notice what John here says. 1 John 3, 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Powerful verse, right? How many times, honestly now, you don't have to answer me, were you discouraged by this verse? Do you know a lot of people are discouraged by this verse? You know why? Because they look at their experience and they say, you know, I messed up. I sinned. It says, whoever sins has not seen him neither, known him, and all of a sudden their Christian experience is cast into doubt. It gets, uh, it gets even stronger. Look at verse 9. Just drop down to verse 9. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Whoever is born of God does not commit sin. Here's a question. Since becoming a Christian, have you committed a sin? Don't answer. Don't answer. Just think. What do you do with this verse? All of a sudden, this verse is haunting, right? So rather than being an encouraging, powerful promise, all of a sudden, the devil uses these verses to torment us with 
fear, with doubt, with uncertainty. You think you're a Christian? Says you're a Christian, doesn't sin, you're a sinner, and you knew better. And you know what? We live under this cloud of tormented fear and uncertainty. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that uh, sinning is okay. It says here very clearly. But God, brothers and sisters, knows our human frailty and our human weakness. The gospel is designed to bring us to a place where we do not sin. We no longer sin. In other words, it's a complete solution for sin. It's not a partial one. It's complete. Where you don't need to be a servant of sin, a slave of sin. But you know what? For us as humans, as Christians many times, that does not happen overnight, even though it could. We fail. Like Peter, we take our eyes off Christ and we mess up, knowing better. So then what? The whole thing is gone. No. That's what the devil uses. The same author, brothers and sisters, earlier in the same letter, writes this in chapter 2 and verse 1. And this is where we need to remember and we need to understand. And this is what I want to encourage you with. If you are in that particular category where you're a Christian and you messed up when you knew better. 1 John 2 and verse 1. Same letter. He says, my little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, the righteous. What's he saying here? The gospel is designed to bring you to a place where you don't need to sin anymore. But if any man sin, we have an advocate. In other words, saying for, for people, that might not happen overnight. Why? Not because of the failure of the gospel, but because of the failure of weakness of humanity in applying the gospel. And he says at those times, I want you to remember something. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is where our assurance is, brothers and sisters. Many times... We look for assurance in ourselves as to our standing with God. And what we find there is fear, doubt, and uncertainty. Our assurance, brothers and sisters, is not in ourselves. It's not in what we do. It's not in what we believe. It's not how we act. Our assurance is in Jesus Christ, the righteous. Particularly when we mess up. Do you know it's one of the most discouraging things for Christians? Is when, it's not that they were bad or were sinners or were in the world and then they became Christian. No, it's when they are Christian and they mess up. It's one of the biggest ways that Satan discourages people and turns them even away from Christianity. This is what happens. You know what it's like? You mess up and then you think, so yeah, my Christian, and the devil whispers in your ear and look at you. You think you're a Christian, look what happened. And you know what happens? Then you say, well, maybe I could do this as well. And then you start the slippery slope of all these other things that you know better not to, but you know what, I messed up, and well, you know, and before long you find yourself very close to the bottom of the slide, right? You know what I'm talking about, huh? I think, well, yeah, you know, but well, I hope, but I know better, but yeah, I messed up, and maybe I'm not a real Christian. And you know what happens? Sometimes people walk away from Christianity because of things like that. Maybe you might not reach that stage, but we remain in this indefinite limbo of uncertainty of that. You know, there is, a, there is a way back, right? If we sin, the Bible says if you sin, He is. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. There is a way back. So it's not to stay in that place. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. That's a Christian. That's a believer. He falls, but the, here's, the, here's the identifying mark, is that he rises up again doesn't stay down. And so this is what I want to encourage you. Remember, look, remember the story of the prodigal son, right? He messed up when he knew better. But he returns. What was God's attitude as portrayed by the father in that story? Forgive him and accepted him and treated him as his beloved son. This is God's attitude. Many times, brothers and sisters, we... we we stay away like the prodigal. We mess up, like, but we wonder, okay, we backslide, whatever might have happened to us. And we kind of just yeah, take our time in coming back. And in taking our time, we get more mired with all the pigs. Right? We, we, we add mess up to mess up to mess up because we're just, well, maybe I'll just fix up a little bit so I can come back to God with something good to present. We cannot do that, brothers and sisters. Our assurance is Christ. So I want to... 
I want to remind you of that. Don't stop getting up. That's the key. Don't stop getting up. A Christian is not someone who doesn't fall. A Christian is someone who gets up again. Why? What gives us the assurance that we can get up again after messing up and knowing better? That we can get up again and be accepted? The assurance for that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. This is where our eyes need to be fixed, brothers and sisters. Fear and doubt will assail us, but we need to remember to truly trust in Christ. Look to Him. He fell and He messed up how many times? Not once. There is a perfect track record you can hang all your hope on, and this is what the whole plan of salvation is all about. There are examples of, of believers in the Bible who messed up bad, who were accepted. One popular one, David is probably the most popular one a lot of people go to. You know, David committed adultery, he murdered, then he prayed to God to forgive him, and he was accepted. Samson's another one. You know, Samson, a lot of people, uh, a lot of us think, you know, how, does, how could Samson do this? You know, he's a bit of a womanizer, you know, everyone going after these women and all that stuff. And he was a judge of Israel. The Spirit of God was upon him. You know, Samson's going to be in the kingdom, you know that? He's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter that lists all the faithful. But one particular one that doesn't get mentioned too often is King Manasseh. King Manasseh, you can do, read his story if you want this evening or sometime during this camp. 2 Chronicles 33. You can write it down or remember. It's not a hard chapter to remember. 2 Chronicles chapter 33 is the story of King Manasseh. If you remember, King Manasseh was the son of faithful King Hezekiah. He was raised in that home. King Manasseh was one of the most wicked kings. He consulted mediums. He was into witchcraft, wizardry. Necromancy, he even offered up children. He put them through the fire. He killed the prophet Isaiah. He was killed by King Manasseh. And you know what the end of the chapter tells us there? He was taken captive and he was humbled. And he prayed to God. And God was entreated of him. If you think you messed up, go read that list that Manasseh did. It'll be hard to top. It's a pretty impressive list of evil, of evil and wickedness. And you know what happened? God accepted him. So if you're in that situation, you find yourself, you know, you've backslidden, you've wandered away, and you've added one thing to another until you ended up further than you ever anticipated from God. I want to encourage you, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that God says in his word, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I want to close with this verse in Jeremiah, a beautiful verse. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 22. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 22. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 22. And here, this is what God says through the prophet. Return ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee. For thou art the Lord, our God. God. God's purpose, God's desire is to heal your backsliding. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about, you know. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what pressing towards the mark is all about. Many times we get caught up in the things that are behind and our mess-ups, and what happened, and we stay there, and we stay in a state of uncertainty and doubt. There are Christians who are in that state for years. God can heal your backsliding. So I will have a, I have a dual appeal today to you as we close. Appeal number one is if you, as a Christian, have never understood or realized the assurance in God's Word, I want to encourage you to take that promise to heart. And be assured of where you stand with God if you've given your life to God. And so that's what we dealt with that in, initially. But in particular, appeal number two is if you are a Christian who has backslidden or messed up or somehow made a blunder when you know better. I want to present to you this promise that God says here. I will, hear, I will heal your backsliding, the Bible says. God's desire is to restore you 
is to forgive you, is to give you that same assurance, even though you messed up. The way back is not difficult. God is not going to accept you in your mess up. But God says, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just. That's why the last part of that verse says, Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Brothers and sisters, this is what pressing towards the mark is all about. This is the practical aspect of what being Christian is all about. I want to challenge you with that. I want to appeal to you with that. If you were blessed by this message, remember to subscribe and share it with others. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.